Coming up on 6.06 this morning here on 6.30. Chad, good to have you here. Jalen Nye is off this week. She'll be back on Monday. Uh, midway through yesterday, boom, there it hit. Tina Turner, gone at the age of 83. So an awful lot of people have been sharing their memories. We want to get uh, some thoughts from Eric Alpert, music publicist, a guest many times here on 6.30. Chad, great to have you back again. Eric, how are you doing? Oh, always happy to talk about somebody like Tina Turner. Yeah, extraordinary. Uh, that song that we played uh, go, coming into this segment, What's Love Got to Do With It? That one lands high on your list, does it? Yeah, you know, um, I think for a lot of, of you and I, and probably for a lot of listeners, um, that was our first taste of Tina Turner. Um, I think we kind of all knew that she was great in the 60s, um, disappeared in the 70s, the record media and industry didn't really want a lot to do with her um, during that decade after her hits stopped drying up. Um, but all of a sudden, this song that got turned down by seemingly everybody, by um, Cliff Richard and Donna Summer, um, nobody wanted to record this song called What Love Got to Do With It until it finally got um, to Tina Turner. And the first time that you see this black woman with spiky hair and a jean jacket and leather skirt and fishnets and high heels <laughs> telling men exactly what is going to happen um, was extremely powerful and, and astonishing when you go back and you realize that that was a comeback a lot of us had never seen before or since. I mean, that was extraordinary what she was able to do and have various um, highs and lows. And when the lows were really, really low, like getting physically and mentally abused for years from her then husband, Ike Turner, for her to come back like that, win the Grammys um, uh, for years, um, selling out 70,000 seat arenas around the world. Um, it's no wonder that she not only influenced, but there's no Beyonce without Tina Turner. There's no Mary J. Blige. There's probably not that self-confident and that self-awareness and that emotional impact of somebody like a Taylor Swift that is allowed to tell her story in a public forum. It all really started for an entire generation with Tina Turner in the 1980s. And that's not even talking about the amazing, you know, River Deep Mountain High in the 60s and all those hits there. Uh, so that album, uh, Private Dancer, uh, that came out in 84, that was, that was, that was the resurgence. What can you tell us about her early career? Because obviously Tina Turner, uh, was, was around for decades for a lot of different generations, for a lot of different reasons and with different music. In the early years when she was with uh, her then husband, Ike Turner, uh, how big were they? How solid were they? And, uh, can you tell us a little bit about those early years? Yeah, she started off around 1957 when she met Ike at a bar. And uh, Ike kind of molded her once um, she joined the band, um, taught her how to sing properly, taught her how to act, taught her how to sizzle on stage and, and kind of blow the roof off, so to speak. And then around the 1960s, early 1960s, that's when they started having hits, at least on black radio, um, because white radio wasn't really playing a whole lot of R&B and a lot of soul music. But their hits were so huge that it kind of transcended the, what was going on in the civil rights movement in the 60s, where white audiences were finally getting to go to the same shows as their black counterparts and vice versa. So you had songs like River Deep, Mountain High, you had Proud Mary, Natbush City, It's Gonna Work Out Fine. 
all of those were massive hits in the in the in the sixties, and then kind of tapered off around the mid nineteen seventies. She was, you know, one of those C list celebrities. She would be appearing on um, Hollywood Squares after her after you know the Icantina review split up, and they started getting a divorce. Nobody wanted to work with her. In fact, even her own record label dropped her, saying that she was nothing without Ike Turner. It wasn't until she wrote that autobiography back in nineteen eighty one called I Tina, where she really owned her story, where she got to talk about the absolute devastation that Ike had on her. She still loved him, but he beat her daily. And that was one of the first times that somebody in Hollywood, or at least a celebrity, spoke out honestly and publicly about that kind of abuse. And that led the whole expose of of autobiographies from Hollywood and musicians that were still seen today. She was one of the first ones. Then that album came out a couple of years later on a chance. Um, uh, and nobody thought it was going to be big. I mean, they thought that they had some really good songs on it, but maybe 500,000 copies sold. Nobody thought it was going to sell 21 million copies around the world. Yeah, that's extraordinary, isn't it? You know what the first yeah. thing came to mind when you were talking about uh, Ike Turner and, and what he taught her and was a driving creative force earlier? It's almost It was almost like a deal with the devil, an unintentional deal with the devil. Uh, it, it helped to make her, but man, it shattered her all at the same time. How? Yeah, she ta- she talks about in when when the whole hoopla started with um, with the private dancer album and just those absolutely uh, 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 huge tours. Every single media interview that she did, she had to talk about him, mm. and that's really hard. And I know a lot of listeners are probably thinking like, you know, she should have left them, but I think we all know that that's just simply not the case. So she said that you know she tried to commit suicide. She was broke after leaving Ike. She ended up in a in a motel, living on food stamps with her kids. She had no money. She had a huge IRS tax bill that was coming to her um, wow. because I never really paid them. So it, it it it's one of those things where she's always said that she loved him for making her what she is, but she hated him in the way that he actually treated her and and you can be both you can be a genius like ike turner starting rock and roll as we know it but you can also be one of the most horrible people that you'll ever want to meet and there are so many layers when you start to, to peel them back there are so many layers to you know the early years to the to the resurgence to the survivor story and the inspiration purely just the joy of performance when you watched her uh you can't all of them are part and parcel of tina turner yeah, there's um, there's a number of concerts that you can watch now on YouTube from you know from the early '60s to the 1990s, and you see just the joy and the exuberance that she has on stage. You can see where Mick Jagger got his moves. In fact, Mick Jagger has always publicly acknowledged that he didn't teach Tina how to dance. She taught him how to dance. And being on stage with those backup dancers and that, you know, anywhere between a seven-piece and a 20-piece band, um, she really was simply the best. I mean, anybody that has had an opportunity to see her live um, will know that she was one of the most electrifying live performers we'll ever see in our lifetime. Yeah, she kind of said it herself, didn't it? Hey, Eric, can you stick around through a commercial break and come back and talk a little bit more? Yeah, for sure. Okay, outstanding. We'll talk more with Eric Alper, music publicist, about the great Tina Turner. uh, Passed away yesterday at the age of 83.
And good morning. Good to have you here. We're talking with Eric Alpert, music publicist, uh, Sirius XM host, uh, about the great uh, Tina Turner. That song, that was a collaboration with Brian Adams. What can you tell us about that song? Because Brian Adams was, was pretty early on in his career when the great Tina Turner jumped in and helped out. Yeah, that that <laughs> that song um, was pretty remarkable because it was it was Canadian content. So you know, thing for you on on playing that. But yeah, Brian Adams was was starting to break worldwide with that Reckless album back in 1984 that he had those hits like Heaven and Run to You. Um, Tina was um, was still riding on the coat of uh, of her private dancer album mm-hmm. um, but when that song came out it was like it, it was so strange because for 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 me watching it on much music at the time which seemingly played every hour um, you saw Brian Adams as one of our own and then you were like wow he's with Tina Turner he must be really popular mm-hmm. and then for people who didn't know Brian Adams it was like wow, Tina Turner is playing with Brian Adams. She must be getting really popular. And so it was just these two massive worlds that, that came together thanks to the management that knew one another. Um, and uh, uh, what a, you know, I hadn't heard that song in the last 24, 48 hours. A lot of it is is what's love got to do with it and, and, and simply the best and uh, what, one of the living. But that one, yeah, that one was just a monster hit and such a great live um, it's such a great live song, and it's no wonder that the video for it is them actually performing it live when Tina comes out during Brian Adams' show and just, you know, slays the crowd. Uh, uh, we were chatting a little earlier, and I was trying to see if anybody had come up with any bad stories about Tina Turner. Uh, and you know what I mean? It, it, obviously, we're playing tribute to her, but so many times after somebody passes, they go, oh, you know, they weren't the nicest person. They weren't. She seemed to have a reputation for being collaborative, for being nice, and for being supportive of other artists and other people. I bet you she ate the last Oreo in one of the bags and didn't offer it to somebody else in the last couple of years. No, I can't. I, <laughs> I, I, I couldn't think of a single bad story. Um, but I think that that's what happens when you hit such a high in whatever you're doing. Forget about music or entertainment, even in any business. If you reach the upper echelon of what you do um, and, you know, things are going great and you're making money and you're having fun and things are going your way, when it stops, you have two options. You can be grateful that you hit that mark and that that upper echelon, um, or you could be bitter. And if you're bitter, you're never, ever going to make it back up to the top again because nobody will want to work with you. The way that Tina was brought up with um, decent parents for at least the first 10 years of her life, you know, they were doing okay. They were farmers. They were making a lot of money. But then the dad left when she was 10, and then her mother left three years later. She lived with her grandmother and then became dirt poor. So those ups and downs of watching her parents fight all of the time and having that amazing feeling of being on stage, she really wanted that. And she knew that the way to go about doing that was just to be nice to people and just to treat people with respect because she wasn't respected by the man that she loved, and that would have been Ike Turner. But Ike, you know, was 
you know, he was like a Godzilla stomping on people all the way around and bullying his way through things. Tina knew that that wasn't the way to go about doing it. And uh, hopefully, you know, but I'm sure that those those times and those nights where she was living in that motel, living on food stamps and having no money to her name and looking at a half a million dollar um, tax lien against her, I'm sure that she said many times to herself, what did all of this get me? What did all of this niceness get me? And, um, but, you know, she she... She got through. She got through it all, and, and, you know, the rest is history. Just as you were telling some of those details, you know, I'm looking at sort of the uh, the, the, the song list from from the 80s, and Better Be Good to Me jumps out. I guess, yeah, she she ended up finding a place in her, in her life where she could demand respect, but then also gave it at the same time. Um, there's something about when you are a singer and you don't necessarily write your own songs, mm-hmm. you have to pick those songs really, really carefully because... If you're Elvis, if you're Frank Sinatra, if you're Tina Turner, just, you know, three names that pop out of people who didn't really write their own material, they get literally hundreds of songs every album to sing from songwriters. And you want something that not only is a great song, but you feel some sort of emotional connection to you so that you can emote that song on stage and make people believe that you could have been the only person to either A, write that song, or B, sing that song um, believably. And that's the mark of a really great singer and a really great team around you to choose things like what's love got to do with it. Because now we all think, or simply the best, because now we all think, that's Tina's song. She had to have write it, written it in the middle of the night with a candle, you know, burning. It's like, no, no, no. But that's that's the, the magic, right? She that's made it her the own. trick of it all, you know? Uh, and then uh, just before we let you go, I want to play a little clip of her from 1997 talking about her image because her image was also the music. You know, if, if you're listening to the radio, you're not looking at Tina Turner or seeing her perform. You're hearing her. You're you're into the music. But man, that image was part of it. She knew it. They don't care about age or music necessarily. They care about the image. That little short dress is a little doll figure kind of a thing. It's music. It's energy. It's red lips. It's what every little girl get in the mirror, in the mirror and do and put on her mother high heel shoes, and what the little boys like. <laughs> what the little boys like. <laughs> she had. She, she reminds me a little of that sort of Dolly Parton recognizing yeah. where she's from and who she is and what the image is. And both are whip smart. You know, like Dolly might be blonde, but oh, if you if you treat her with anything but less than respect, and if you think she's an idiot, oh, sir, you got another thing coming. And uh, uh, and Tina was the exact same way. You know, she knew what she had to do. Um, uh, but it, it's funny because I think that when she probably first put on those clothes for the What's Love Got to Do with the video, again, nobody thought that it was going to be big. Um, she didn't want to play with 15-year-old pop singers, um, mm. but she knew that, that she needed to put on a show, and she learned that from, from her shows in the 1960s, where you got to give people entertainment. Yeah. At the end of it all, they have to be, you know, they they have to watch what you're doing, because it's hard to talk about, you know, it's hard to talk about music, and it's hard to talk about somebody's voice, except for the grain of her voice, or the rough around the edges. Uh, the, the the image was everything in the 1980s, and, and it helped her bring her to, to number one around the world. Eric, thank you so much. I uh, really enjoyed chatting with you this morning and going down memory lane about uh, Tina Turner. Appreciate it. Thanks. Always happy to talk to you, man. We'll All right. talk soon. All right. Cheers. Eric Halper, music publicist, uh, Sirius XM host on the great Tina Turner.